Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. Come on, let's give them some praise tonight. Come on, let's just lift up our voice and worship. God, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our song. The Bible says that every other God has eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. But our God says, I could hear you tonight. I could see you tonight. I could heal you tonight. I could deliver you tonight. If you need breakthrough, call upon the Lord. If you need deliverance, call upon the Lord. If you need the fire of God, call upon the Lord. His presence is in the room. His power is in the room. His anointing is in the room. And I'm not going to sit back when I have access into the presence of God. I'm not going to sit back when I have the ability to take your seat to ask him for things. He said your idols that you worship, they don't hear you. Stop defending things that don't matter. I look back to when Gideon got called by God and all the sudden Gideon's sitting there destroying idols and everybody said we're going to kill Gideon because he's destroying the idols and his father raises up and says why are you defending false gods friend it is time for us as a church to stop defending our idols to stop defending lust to stop defending pornography to stop defending drinking to stop defending adultery to stop defending compromise to stop trying to talk me out of being excited talk me out of praising talk me out of worshiping talk me out of shouting some of you just need to lose your mind and say I could care less what you think about me I could care less like David put down the royal garments and said I'm just going to praise undignified I'm just going to worship undignified you can stare at me all you want I'm not here to praise for you I'm here to praise for God I'm not here to get your attention I'm here to get God's attention I'm not here to encounter you I'm here to encounter the presence and the power of God quiet Christianity is not going to save a world that's dying Quiet Christianity is not going to change the culture. I think about what Mordecai told Esther as her nation had faced extinction. Friend, Christianity as we know it in America is facing extinction. Everywhere you go, there is a rejection of the man named Jesus. The country doesn't want to hear about the real God. The church doesn't want to hear about the real God. Our schools don't want to hear about a real God. And all of a sudden, Esther had to make a choice. Was she going to be silent like everybody else and Mordecai came to her and said Esther perhaps you were born for such a time as this perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this maybe it's not a coincidence that you're alive right now maybe it's not a coincidence that you're in Stevens Point Wisconsin but maybe you're here for a purpose help me as much as possible maybe you're not here just to warm a pew friend if we wanted someone to warm a pew we would just put a blanket on your chair 
Some of you think, oh, because I'm in the church, then God's going to do this. Because I'm in the church, that God's going to do this. Thank you right there. Just leave it. Because I'm in the church, God's going to do this. Because I came to church, friend, it's not about just coming to church. It's about responding to the presence of God. If I come to church and I'm sitting there asleep and I'm sitting there not engaged with the presence of God, not engaged with the word of God, I don't know why you came, where you came, or where you came from, but I know that I'm in the house of God tonight and I'm going to push my way through whatever I have to push through to get my encounter with God. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. If I have to be like David and look like an idiot, then oh well, because I refuse to be silent at such a time as this. I refuse to let the devil outpraise me. Let the devil outshout me. Let the devil be louder than me. The devil wasn't casual destroying your life so why are you casual about destroying his have you ever thought about the fact that the devil's not the only one that could attack that you have the ability to attack darkness that you have the ability to you understand that your shout and praise is like nails on a chalkboard to the kingdom of hell and I love annoying the devil I love giving the devil a fever I love reminding the devil that he was defeated on the cross I love reminding the devil that I'm no longer a slave to the sin and bondage that God has healed and delivered me Why do you got to shout, God's not deaf? God's also not apathetic, lukewarm, tired, or weird. Friend, we're not up here shouting so that God can hear us. We're shouting so that the devil knows that we're not a bunch of pansy Christians that are sitting here warming a chair, but God is raising up an army. It doesn't matter if it's just 20-year-olds that shout and scream. God will pass you by. Here's what Mordecai told Esther. He says, if you stay silent, deliverance will come somewhere else, but you and your family will die. Friend, if you decide that you want to be a quiet Christian, you don't want to share your faith, you don't want to be passionate, you don't want to get involved then guess what God will find somebody else to do it but I'm not going to let somebody else steal the call on my life I'm not going to let somebody else praise when I could praise why would I let creation worship if I could said if you don't praise the rocks will crowd in worship you don't have passion the trees will have passion how sad is that that the parking lot outpraises most of us in this room tonight How sad is it that when you drive by and see trees blowing in the wind, the Bible says, and all of creation reflects and honors and glorifies and worships God. And we're letting trees out praise us, rocks out praise us, animals out praise us, creation out praise us. When God has given us uh, the same spirit that raised Christ uh, is now living on the inside of us. Uh, I have a public news announcement. And for some of you, uh, the grave is empty. Our God is not a dead God. Uh, He rose from the grave on the third day. Uh, He gave us life. Uh, He gave us power passion and we ought to start acting like he's done something we ought to start acting like he saved us we ought to start acting like he delivered us we have to start acting like he gave us a breakthrough David said I look up to the hills where does my help come from my help comes from the Lord I'm not looking to religion I'm not looking to drinking I'm not looking to drugs I am looking to the Lord he is where my purpose is he is where my help is 
is. He is where I find peace. He is where I find refuge. He is where I find life. It's in Jesus, not in a man and not in religion. Maybe if I get with this girl, I'll find peace. Maybe if I get with this guy, I'll find peace. Maybe if I'm the leader of the worship team, I'll find satisfaction. Maybe if they let me preach, I'll find fulfillment. Maybe if they let me get this job, I'll find happiness. Maybe if I get this making 70000 a year, that will be what I want. Maybe if I get with this guy or girl, that's what I want. No. Friend, the only way you're going to find satisfaction, the only way you're going to find purpose is in the man named Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it at the club. You're not going to find it at the bar. You're not going to find it at the frat house. You're not going to find it at the party. It is only in the presence of God that true satisfaction, that true purpose, that true joy is found. And tonight we came for one reason, and that's to get connected to the God of the universe. That's to get connected and not give them a cheap offering. Died for you in public, but you want to live for him in private. Don't want no one to know on my campus. I know God. Don't want no one to know at work I'm a Christian. Don't want anyone to know. We come in here, and then we have this little bubble. We come in in this false uh, false representation of Christ, uh, and we're all passionate and excited and zealous about God, uh, and we claim to say we worship. We claim to say we serve Him. Uh, but I look at us and go, where is the real passion? Uh, where is the fear of the Lord? Uh, where is the conviction of sin? Uh, when we leave this building, uh, it's time for the church to come out of the closet and to go public with their faith. Jesus gave every to die on that cross the one that knew no sin it wasn't a cheap thing to give you life it wasn't a cheap thing to heal you it wasn't a cheap thing to deliver you so if he didn't give a cheap offering I'm not going to give a cheap praise if he didn't give a cheap offering I'm not going to give a cheap sacrifice when David sinned the nation was in rebellion God said David offer me a sacrifice so David goes to this man God says, I want you to sacrifice this specific area of land with this specific animal. And so David goes up to the man that owned the property and owned the animal. And the man looked at David and said, oh, King David, uh, I refuse to charge you. You could have the land. Uh, you could have the animal. And the man offered David a free sacrifice. Uh, he offered David something that wasn't going to cost him anything. And for most of the church, that's exactly what we're looking for. How could I get this for free? How could I have all that God has for me, but not have to lay anything down, not have to pay a sacrifice and David looked at the man and said these words he says I refuse to give God anything that did not cost me something I need to give a costly sacrifice I need to give God something that's going to hurt me something that's going to cost me something I can't even remember the last time I gave God something that I couldn't afford to give him when God came to me and said, Isaiah, January 12, 2011, and I was an atheist. I was drinking every day. Every word was the F word, and I didn't believe in God, and I came to a church, and I was making fun of them, and I was doing all this stuff, and I came to the altar and said, God, I don't effing believe in you, and the voice of God said, Isaiah, I have a plan and a purpose for your life to send you from nation to nation, from state to state to preach the gospel. God said, Isaiah, I don't want 99.9% .9 of you. Friend, if you're here tonight and you want to give God a cheap offering, here's what he told the children of Israel. Just keep your lame sacrifice. I'm not interested in cheap sacrifice. 
sacrifices. Uh, I'm not interested in your leftovers. Uh, I'm not interested in your little bit that you give them that doesn't afford, doesn't cost you anything. Uh, I'm saying, God, I'm going to give you my very best. Uh, I'm going to give you all of me. Uh, I'm going to give you every part of me. Uh, I'm tired of this cheap American uh, imitation gospel uh, that cannot change, uh, that cannot deliver, uh, that cannot save. Uh, I recently started eating sushi. That's a good message title right there. All my friends used to go sushi, and I don't like sushi. So I started getting sushi, and I took a friend out not too long ago. It was probably like six months ago, eight months ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, bro, I like sushi now. And so he's like, okay, let's go get sushi. Because he had asked me for years to get sushi. And we get to the place, and I ordered a California roll. Anybody know what that is? It's just imitation crab. It's a, he's like, that's, that's, you, that's what you order? That's sushi? I was like, yeah, dude. It's just rice and imitation crab. And so I was eating it for like six months. I was excited. I liked it. I was like, man, and if you're, if you're an avid sushi eater, California roll is the most lukewarm sushi roll you could ever get. It's like going to a Chinese restaurant and getting orange chicken. It's just completely generic. And I ordered this thing, and I was like, man, I started thinking about it. How is it that it's only $5.99 for a huge roll? What is inside it? And I realized, okay, it's crab, but I found out something about it. After six months of eating it, I realized it wasn't real crab. It looked like crab. It tasted like crab. It had the texture of crab, but it's actually called imitation crab. And it's a cheap version, and it's really not even crab. It's Alaskan cod with seasoning, and I found out that it's full of sugar and starch and fillers. And it actually isn't, not only is it cheap, not only is it a fake impersonation and a fake imitation, but it's actually bad for your digestion digestive track so that when you go to eat something healthy for you something good for you you can't even digest the real thing and that is exactly the gospel that we have given people in America it's an imitation crab gospel that's full of a bunch of fillers that's full of a bunch of garbage and then the real thing comes and we can't digest it you know why you don't like my preaching because you've been listening to fake for so many years. And you actually got addicted to the imitation. Why? Because it's cheaper to buy the imitation than it is to buy the real thing. This was the dilemma of David. It's cheaper for him to give it to me, but God didn't say get it for free. God said pay a price. When God sent his son, it cost his son everything. From there was a debt that you could not pay. There is something that you owe that your good works, that all of your strategies, that all of your religion cannot pay and that is the dilemma and the scandal of grace is that without the presence of God without the finished work of the cross I deserve hell that's why I look at people you know Isaiah it's not my personality to shout not my personality to come to the altar not my personality to worship the problem is you shouldn't have a personality Jesus isn't trying to enhance you he's trying to kill you so that means this it doesn't matter if I don't feel like worshiping it doesn't matter if I don't feel like preaching it doesn't matter if I don't feel like coming to the altar it doesn't matter if I don't feel like sacrificing it is no longer I that live but Christ and let me tell you the Holy Spirit is not complacent he's not apathetic he's not halfway in and halfway out he is a roaring lion he is a raging fire that lives on the inside of me and here's the bottom line. It's going to say this. We're headed towards national persecution like the world has never seen. 
now I'm not in California, so I can say this. The fact that our president was not Hillary Clinton was the grace of God. I'll get, pers- I'll get shot if I say that in California. But here's the scary part. I, w- I stayed up all night watching the election. I was excited in one element, and I was deeply saddened by the other element. People say, why would you be sad that Hillary Clinton didn't get elected? I'm completely anti-Hillary as it gets. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just telling you my stance. I'm against abortion and everything else that she stands for. But here's the bottom line. I looked at the situation. I said, oh, God, you've given the nation mercy. But here's the problem with mercy. Mercy creates casualness. Mercy creates comfortability. Because if she became the president, here's what I was excited about. I was excited for the church to begin to get persecuted. I was excited for people to have to choose a side. See, we have a church that knows nothing about persecution and let me just explain this very clear if you can't stand up for God in the midst of no persecution if you can't stand up for God in the midst of nobody attacking you of nobody talking bad about you of nobody making you choose a side then when persecution comes you won't be able to take a stand you won't be able to speak up I have to be ready for the judgment that's why in Acts 12 it says in the disciples we're giving everything they could give they were giving a hundred and ten percent so here's a question I have to ask myself am I giving all that I could give in my praise am I giving all that I could give in my worship well, so-and-so, I didn't ask about anybody else. I asked, are you giving 100% of praise, 100% of your passion, 100% of your time, 100% of your energy, 100% of your finances? Have you given everything? Because this was the early church. The early church was not a place where we gathered and wanted to hear a good 30-minute sermon and have a five-minute lukewarm altar call. The early church was not a place where we came together to gossip about each other and see who could dress the best the early church was a place that would go to the gates of hell and knock down the gates of hell that would heal the sick that would raise the dead that would preach the gospel that would make disciples and here's the reality seven years I've been on a pursuit one pursuit trying to find the American church in the Bible and friend do you know There's not a verse or a scripture that describes the American church in all of the Bible. We have created an unscriptural church that is about product and promotion and selling Jesus as if he's the latest new thing and the latest new fad. And so we're always trying to figure figure out ways how to babysit, how to get people. But here's the bottom line. It doesn't matter all that we're doing if we're not giving 100%. If we're not giving all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our spirit. This is a radical gospel that demands you to choose a side. It's in Acts 12 as they were preaching and healing the sick that King Herod of Agrippa began to vex the disciples begin to harass the disciples begin to attack the disciples why because they had begun to get comfortable see God will allow situations in our life that will cause us to draw closer to him they were not getting persecuted because they were showing up once a week they were not getting persecuted because they were going through the motions they were getting persecuted because they were making impact on the kingdom of hell. Do you know demonic attacks on your life is one of the number one reasons that you're doing the right thing? 
People come to me. I've been speaking a lot on spiritual warfare because I'm not hearing it in the church. So God's been showing me. You need to sound the alarm. You need to blow the trumpet. You need to share. And people are writing me going, I never faced a spiritual attack. I've never faced a spiritual battle. I've never had spiritual warfare. I've never had the devil come against me. And I've had to tell multiple people that's because the devil doesn't attack people that are on his side. If I'm not serving God, if I'm not 100% in God, then guess what? The devil's going to leave you alone. But how many people know when you start serving God, God. When you start doing something for God, it's like all of hell raises up against you. But fear not, says the Lord, that I am your refuge. I am your rock. I am your strength. The armies of the Lord are with you. Herod began to harass. Why? To gain favor with the religious people. See, Herod liked what people thought about him. So he was willing to kill the move of God as long as it gained popularity with the masses. Do you know why revival, real revival, not this whole cliche revival? Do you know why real revival is not popular in the American church? Do you know why casting out demons is not popular in the American church? You know why healing the sick is not popular in the American church? You know why raising the dead is not popular in the American church? Because we are more concerned with gaining favor and gaining acceptance through the religious people in our church than the one or two people that are radical. But I'm not trying to cater to the religious people. I'm not trying to please religious people. I want to please the presence of God. I want to preach to the remnant. I want to be a part of the 1% that says if everybody else bows, we're not bowing. That if everybody else goes back to religion, then we're not going back. Herod had a Jewish grandmother, kills James. Now remember James' mom's prayer was this. God let my kids sit at your right hand. Jesus looked at the lady and said, honey, you don't know what you're asking for. See, oftentimes when we pray prayers for God to do something in our kids, for God to do something in our lives, for God to do something in our marriage, we don't realize that God one day might actually answer your prayer. You have to be very careful when you're praying, God, put a fire in me. You have to be very careful when you're praying, God, I'll do anything for you. I prayed that prayer and God said, anything? I said, God, anything. I'll give you everything. He said, okay, everything. I want you to get rid of your job. I want you to get rid of your girlfriend. I want you to leave all your friends. Why? Because I answered your prayer. See, a lot of you older generation, I'm trying to be nice. You prayed for this. Lord, raise up young people. And then we raise up. And, oh, that's too loud. Oh, the rap music. Oh, that was an amazing grace. I was waiting for the banjo to come out and the acoustic guitar. That's not what I asked you. God says, don't pray for something. And then when it comes, reject what you pray for. If you prayed for James to sit at your right hand, and then I say James is going to have to die, and then guess what? It actually happens. Don't get mad. Some of you are actually mad at God for answering your prayer. God, have your way in this relationship. The guy dumps you the next day. Oh, God, why did you dump me? Because you said you wanted me to have my way, and that wasn't your husband, and he's not right for you. Why is it going to take something bad for you to realize that God is trying to answer the prayers that you're praying? God, I'll give whatever you want me to give. And then God goes, all right, give up that. And you go, oh, accept that. God goes, give up that. See, the, it's not a conditional thing when you die to yourself. Jesus said this, if any man wants to follow me, he must first give up everything, deny himself, and pick up a cross and follow me. Here's what Jesus was saying. When you serve me and when you follow me, it's no longer about you, it's about me. See, this was what characterized the early disciples. They were doing everything they could to follow Jesus, not follow the culture. And so all of a sudden, Herod, the Bible says during Passover, just starts persecuting the believers. Have you ever been in a place where we're worshiping and singing and dancing, and it's a time of celebration, but you feel like you're going through 
through hell. You feel like everybody else is getting a breakthrough but you. You feel like everybody else is getting a miracle with you. This is exactly what was happening in the church. It was supposed to be a time of celebration. It was supposed to be a time of happiness. But the enemy began to persecute. What do we do when the enemy comes against us? We just keep praising. We just keep worshiping. I lost my family, but I'm going to keep praising. I lost my marriage, but I'm going to keep praising. I lost my kids. I wish somebody could testify. I lost my kids, but I'm going to keep praising. I'm not going to let what's happening on the outside stop me from what God is doing on the inside. Peter gets imprisoned. Herod decides, I'm going to take the leader of the church and I'm going to put him in prison. How many people do we know in this room tonight that have been in prison? I've been praying for people all weekend, in prison by fear, in prison by depression, in prison by anxiety, in prison by hatred, in prison by bitterness and unforgiveness. Friend, you think because you're a believer, you're exempt from the enemy putting you in a prison cell? You think because you're a believer, you're exempt from the trials? Jesus said, oh yeah, you're going to face many trials, but fear not for I have overcome the world. Friend, I came to tell you it doesn't matter what prison cell you have found yourself in. Jesus is here to overcome it. He's here to break you out. I'm not talking talking about the show jailbreak. I'm talking about a Holy Ghost jailbreak. I'm talking about God breaking the shackles and breaking the chains that have bound you for the last weekend. Peter's. The Bible says Peter's in prison and there's four squads of four soldiers. 16 people are tied and connected and, and spending their lives to make sure that Peter, and I'm reading this story, and I'm thinking in Acts chapter 12, this seems a little drastic to me. Why is it that they need 12 guys to protect one guy? See, understand the level of assignment of the enemy on your life. The higher the level of assignment, the more demons that are after you. It's because the devil is threatened by you. It's because you are a threat to darkness. Remember the Bible says, and the gates of, Je of Jericho were shut, and they were fortified because of the children of Israel. See, the devil, the sad part is, believes more in what's inside of you than you do. The devil's more afraid of what's in you than you are, should be, of what's in him. It's like when I was a kid, I used to be deathly afraid of spiders. Praise God, spiders don't fly because I'm still a little bit afraid of them. And my mom would all growing up, because I, I was literally deathly afraid. I was like a girl. I would be screaming if I saw a spider. And my mom would always go, Isaiah, you have to understand something. You might be afraid of the spider, but the spider is more afraid of you than you are of him. See, that is exactly about the kingdom of hell. We might be afraid and we might be scared, but guess what? The devil is more afraid of you than you should be of him. You have the power to trample scorpions, to trample serpents, to break the powers of darkness for this reason the son of God was made manifest to destroy the works of darkness and tonight every work of darkness is being destroyed whatever demonic power whatever demonic influence that has you in prison God says I'm going to destroy it The Bible says, as Peter's in prison, connected to the guards, the church begin to pray. Friend, there really is only one answer tonight to get you out of your prison cell. 
There is only one answer to save your marriage. There is only one answer to change your situation. There is only one answer to reverse your sickness, to reverse your divorce, to bring you peace, to bring you joy, to bring you satisfaction. And that's a church that is praying. If we're not praying, then there's no angel in the prison cell. See, the reason why James got killed and Peter's about to get spared is the difference was prayer. Prayer is what moves the hand of God. A prayerless church is a powerless church. And let me just ask you what your prayer manuscript looks like. One day I was crying to God, oh God. You told me you were going to save my old best friend. You told me you were going to save my ex-girlfriend. You told me you were going to save my uncle and my cousin and so-and-so. And I'm shaking my fist at God. And God said, Isaiah, how much literal time have you even spent praying for them? See, a lot of you are mad at God, yet you don't even spend time praying for the things that you want God to do in your life. God goes, let me look at your prayer manuscript. If God were to answer every one of your prayers that you prayed in the last week, what would be changed in the world? For some of us, think about that. The only thing is our food would be blessed. Our marriage might have a little blessing on it. And God would protect our home. Because those are really the only prayers we pray. We pray before we eat. And then we pray at night that no robbers would break in. But guys, there is a realm of prayer where you say, I'm an intercessor. The future of this nation is not in the hands of the president. It's not in the hands of an NFL team. The future of America is in the hands of the intercessor. If my people that were called by my name would humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray then I'd hear from heaven forgive their sins prayer is the answer to your breakthrough prayer is the answer to your miracle there's no answer outside of prayer the Bible says they're praying God's not doing nothing they're praying God's not doing nothing have you ever felt like you're praying and nothing was happening Here's what you have to understand. There's stuff going on behind the scenes that you can't see. If you're to watch your favorite movie, I don't know what was it, the last movie that came out. I think it was like Star Wars or something. I was watching this little documentary thing online, and they said something like they had 80 plus something red epic cameras or something insane for every single set, for every single thing. There was literally hundreds of people. But when you watch the movie, what happens? I didn't, I didn't see it, but if you did see it, it's zoomed in, and you only see one or two characters. But you have to understand that you might only be seeing a small image. But if you were to back up, you would see hundreds of people around that are working behind the scenes. See, God... God is working behind the scenes. Even if you don't think he's working tonight, he's working. Even if you don't think your family's changing, they're changing. Even if you don't see the breakthrough, guess what, friend? There is a breakthrough happening in your kids. There is a breakthrough happening in your marriage. There is something happening in America. Whether we see it or not, God is on the move. And here's the truth about our God. We serve a last-minute God. We serve a God that waits for everything else to fail before he shows up. Lazarus, four days go by, and the Bible says, and then Jesus went to pray for Lazarus. Why would you wait so long? Because I want to make sure nobody gets glory for what I'm doing in his life. They believe that after three days, the spirit would hover. And if three days gone by, the spirit would leave. There's no hope for them. And so Jesus said, I'm going to make sure I don't do it on the third day. I'm going to make sure I wait till the fourth day so that nobody gets credit for the credit for the resurrection power. And everybody's crying, going, Jesus, where were you? Where were you when this happened to me? Where were you when my kids are going through it? Where were you when my marriage is going through it? And he goes, don't fear Mary and Martha. I know exactly what I'm doing. I have the resurrection power. Tonight, it doesn't matter how long you've been waiting. 
Tonight might be the night where God breaks you out. Tonight might be the night where an angel, see the Bible says, and as Peter's in prison, a bright light showed up. I look back and I remember the night I met the bright light. I remember the night I was at the altar and that bright light showed up in my life and said, Isaiah, I have a plan and a purpose and my plan and purpose is not religion. It's not for you to drink every day. It's not for you to constantly be sleeping around and cussing. But there's a bright light in the room tonight that says, I want to break you out. I want to deliver you from the bondage of demons. I want to deliver you from the bondage of the enemy. The bright light shows up. And here's what it didn't do. Peter's asleep. It's the night before trial. Here's what scholars are going to tell you. They're going to kill Peter the next morning. God waited until the very last moment, right before they were going to kill Peter, to deliver Peter. Why did God wait so long? He wanted to make sure it was supernatural, and he wanted to make sure nobody else got credit. So the night before, Peter's about to die. I imagine the church had given up hope. I imagine the church said, tomorrow's his trial. They're going to execute him. They're going to behead him. But in the middle of the night, that's the kind of God that we serve. We serve a God of the midnight hour. We serve a God of the nick of time. You might think your situation's about to die, but moments before it dies, God says, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to save, and I'm going to heal, and I'm going to deliver. The angel showed up, and the Bible says, let me just say it in, in today's context, slapped Peter. The Bible says, and the angel struck Peter. Why? I'm not going to be nice when you're sleeping. See, some of you want someone to come and go, wake up. Peter, Peter, are you there? Peter, God loves you. The grace of God is real, Peter. God will forgive you, Peter. The angel says, I don't have time to be nice about this. You're asleep, and the enemy's going to kill you. So the angel struck Peter. Some of you need just someone to slap you across the face with the word and say, you need to wake up. Wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up, Peter. Now is the moment. If you would have came to me, I'm about to end, by the way. If you would have came to me and said, oh, by the way, brother, Jesus loves you. I would have laughed and said, I love me too. I'm so self-absorbed and self-obsessed with self, so addicted. I didn't need anybody to come tell me how awesome I was. I needed someone to come slap me across the face and say, hell is real. And you need to repent or perish. There is a real place of eternal judgment and fire. There is a real place where the fire is never quenched. And tonight the Lord is saying it's time to wake up. It's time to sound the alarm. It's time to break you out of your prison cell. Not just you, but your family. See, the angel said Peter quickly get up Peter got comfortable in his prison cell Peter got so comfortable that he fell asleep in prison some of you are comfortable in your prison tonight you don't even want to get delivered you have decorated your prison cell you have carpet in your prison cell you have Wi-Fi in your prison cell you have an iPad in your prison cell you have a flat screen TV and you think because you're comfortable you're not in prison but here's the bottom line. You're a slave to sin. Some of you say, I'll get right with God tomorrow or the next day or next week. Or when I'm 30, I'll get right with God. Just like you said you were going to start your diet. I'll start my diet tomorrow. One last cheat meal. One last bad. One last, one last. And that's exactly what we do with sin. I'm just going to watch porn one more time. And after this, I'm never going to do it again. 
I'm just going to sleep with him one more time. And after this, I'm never going to do it again. I'm just going to drink one last party and I'll get my right. When I'm 30, when I'm 40. Friend, in the last year, we've lost four to five people in the ages of 20 years old to 30 years old that died without expecting it, that died without knowing they were going to die. Why? Because the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you don't have time to play church. You don't have time to think about it. The Bible says this. We've all heard the scripture that today is the day of salvation. I've heard it. The only problem is it's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say today is the day of salvation. The original text says right now is the day of salvation. What does that mean? If you're out there drowning in the Wisconsin River and I drove by and you're drowning and I said, oh, I'll save you sometime today. You don't need to get saved sometime today. You need to get saved right now. Some of you are drowning tonight in your sin. And God says, right now is the day. I'm not going to push this thing off. Right now. See, the angel broke Peter. And the Bible says, and Peter left following the angel. Now, the angel was actually the spirit of the Lord. The angel was actually God himself. It's God that you have to follow. Don't follow the culture. Don't follow the things of Babylon. Don't follow the things of this world. It's time tonight to leave our prison and to follow Jesus what is it that the enemy has imprisoned you with what is it that's stopping watch Peter gets delivered he thought it was a vision it was too good to be true and he says wow he realizes the Bible says he comes to his senses he's outside the gate of the city God opened the door for him only God could open the doors that he has to open for you and Peter said the Lord sent an angel to save me from what Herod planned to do for my life Friend, here's what most preachers aren't going to tell you. God has a plan for your life, and Herod has a plan for your life. I probably shared this story two or three times. Um, A month and a half before I got saved. I never dealt with suicide. I almost died a whole bunch of times on accident, falling out of cars, overdosing, hanging myself, a bunch of ridiculous, stupid things I did. I almost died over and over. And I realized it's because Herod was trying to kill me. And God kept sending angels to spare me from what Herod had planned for my life. A month and a half before I got saved, I was at a wedding for my girlfriend's family member, and I was completely wasted drunk. And I was up on the third, I think we were on like the 12th or 13th story. They got everybody this huge suite to party in. And I remember three o'clock in the morning, I'm completely wasted drunk. Remember, I've never been suicidal. I've never wanted to take my life ever. And all of a sudden, I felt something come over me a month and a half before I got saved. And a voice told me, jump off the balcony. And I was sitting there going, I'm not suicidal. And the voice said, jump off the balcony. And if you've ever given into a demonic voice or you've ever felt that temptation, whether it be lust, whether it be sexual, whether it be, you know exactly what I mean. When you say, when I say, I felt like it was pulling on me. And so I literally got out of the bed at three o'clock in the morning. I got out of the bed and I literally went over the balcony and looked 13 stories down. And there was this over, I didn't know why I wasn't depressed. None of that. Well, I was depressed in one sense, but not the suicidal type of depression. But there was this voice saying, jump off. And then there was another voice and I'll never forget it was just a small tiny whisper and it said just go back to bed and I remember sitting there for about 10 minutes looking off that balcony with this desire to jump off still don't know why well I know it's a devil I know this now today that Herod had a plan for my life but I'm so glad that the Lord sent an angel to that hotel room to say I'm gonna spare you come on how many times did an angel save you from the plan that the devil had for you how many times did an angel spare you Peter shows up comes to the house now remember they're in the house praying for Peter to get free 
Peter shows up at the house, knocks on the door, and a young girl named Rhoda, the Bible says, opened up the door and sees Peter. She is so shocked and surprised by what she sees. She shuts the door on Peter. Peter just got broke out of prison. He's there probably freezing cold, and he's sitting there going, open the door, and she shuts it. And she runs inside. She runs into the prayer meeting. Are you getting this? Where they're praying for Peter to get delivered. And goes, you guys aren't going to believe this. Peter's at the door. And this is the problem in the church. We pray, but don't actually believe that God's going to bring up what we're praying for. And some of you tonight, your answer is knocking at the door. Your miracle is knocking at the door. Your revival is knocking at the door. Your breakthrough is knocking at the door. Your loved ones are knocking at the door. And they said, Rhoda, you're crazy. It's a ghost. Friend, it's not a ghost. It's the answer to your prayer. God is here to answer your prayer. Come to the altar and say, God, I need you to break me out. I need you to break Come to the altar. Come to the altar. God, I need a breakthrough tonight. God, I need a deliverance tonight. God, I need your power tonight. This is the last night, God. I need you to break the powers of darkness. I need you to break the powers. Come out of your chair and come to the altar tonight. Come to the altar tonight. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.